as I said, we're in the parts of the creeds now that we've been studying that mentions the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of those beings, uh, uh, it's almost an event in scripture. For years, when I was up in Michigan, I realized we needed to do some readjusting. And so I would start my sermons by saying, I wanna tell you a story. And we would launch into that way. And I did that some in Colorado as well. And some way I feel like I need to do that here because we tend to read scripture without understanding the weight of it. For example, we'll see Jesus telling the apostles, go into Jerusalem and there the Holy Spirit will come to you. And we see, and we just keep reading as if they went, oh, okay, that's cool, and went. They would have been trembling, frightened, concerned, frightened of their own lives because the Holy Spirit does not go where things are not holy. Well, would some of them die? Would some of them be left out? This being that is coming might bring, as we just sang, fire from above. Always like the cavalier, we always, we always say, you know, this fire from above. And I'm thinking about that time, the 50 or 60 of us go, that would be, that would be uh, different. Uh, it would be. The old story uh, is, and by the way, I'm, I'm certain it's just an old story. I don't think it's history. That during worship, one lady gets up and she just, I don't know why it's a lady, starts going, oh, you know, thank you, praise God and all. And it's, it's in one of our churches where we, when we shout hallelujah, it's like, ah. So, you know, the usher went to her and said, you know, and she kept going. And he finally said, oh, you, you really need to be quiet. And she goes, I can't help it. I got the spirit. And he said, well, you didn't get it here. Well, <laughs> we're hoping that does not apply to us. But there's a story that begins in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're not given much more information because all we see in the next line is chaos, absolute chaos to the point where some people believe this is universe 2.0, that God scrubbed the first one and came for this one. Others think there are gaps. Here's, the, here, here's what we know. We don't know. That's not, God was not interested in explaining all of this to us. But what we see is chaos, darkness, void. And then we meet someone for the first time. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep. The word for spirit is an interesting word in and of itself. It can mean spirit, it can mean breath, it can mean wind. And there have been those that didn't have much education in Greek, and I'm one of those people, I'm not making fun of them, but they decided that they knew Greek, and I, that's where we part. I, I know enough to know I know nothing. I need to go talk to experts. But who have set up churches based around the idea, well, the Holy Spirit's not actually any different. It's, it's, it's really breath, it's not a being. Oh, don't do that. Do not poke the Holy Spirit. It's a mysterious word, yes, for a mysterious being, but just as the wind goes where it goes without asking us permission and without us fully understanding all the whys and the wherefores, the Spirit goes where he wants and does what he does. And he does not ask our permission or give us warning. And just as our breath is life, 
but we can't even really define life. I talked to my mom about that as well, and I said, Mom, I don't want to go all neuroscience on you, but I, I got to talk to you about the fact we can't define death. I don't know if you're aware of that. What we do is we define irreversible death, and that's tissue breakdown. But when it comes to when does your brain actually and the who you are actually leave, that's outside the realm of science. And so we're talking about things that are outside and inside. We can't even define life, and yet he brings life. He brings breath, and he is now here hovering over the chaos. He's the first one of the, of the Trinity to show up individually and be named. Think about that. You might, if you're thinking, no, no, it says in the beginning, God. No, that word is Elohim. It's the plural. That's all three. Now one moves out over the chaos, and then light. But more than light, order. There's, there's order, there's design, and all of a sudden there is created in this chaos, as it rolls back and becomes order, a safe place for God's garden and the people that he will place in it. You see, Genesis 1's not just about beginning things, it's about you too. Where the spirit goes, he brings order out of chaos, he brings light, and he creates a place for you to live. So who is the spirit? Well, here's the thing. You might not know this, and I'm, I'm not even sure I would have tumbled to this, but C.S. Lewis brought it up, and I started thinking about it and going, oh, that's correct. No other religion on earth has anything like the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of other religions that have a lot of gods, and some of those, it's not very common, but some of those gods have sons, many sons. Some of those gods have some parallel, but there's no parallel for the Holy Spirit in any other religion. In fact, trying to explain who he was and how he moved in the King James days, they called him the Holy Ghost. Now, when we think of ghost, eh, we're not all that happy about it, but he's not a ghost in that term. It was an old English word, and we miss it. The word ghost to King James and his people meant guest. He is the holy guest who walks into our house. Does having a guest in your house change anything? Every so often people will say, oh, come on in. <clears throat> we're casual. We're, we're, you know, we're just going to act like all family. But you know, even then you change some things. You do. You adjust because there's another presence in the room. When it's the Holy One who is your guest, everything had better change. He is the presence of God with us. And by the way, you might be interested to know that most of the time, it's not 100%, but most of the time, when the Holy Spirit is used or referred to, it is used with female descriptive terms. Now, does it mean the Holy Spirit is female? No. In fact, the Bible calls him he, but when he does things, this is hard to say in English because we don't have this. In many languages, if I say I am walking, I will use a particular verb, but if I say I am walking and I'm a female, I'll use a different verb. And so he is referred to as a male, but the way he works is often referred to as female. Now, 
I'm not going to tell you what that means because I don't know. But it does make me think sometimes and back up and say thank you. Because females are often, and I'm, I'm pre painting with a very broad brush here, females are often more gentle and more nurturing and more caring than guys. I say this as a guy, as a guy who was left alone with the baby for a while, finally saying, my wife, can you take care of this? And I'm going, sure, no, no. She came back, did you change the baby? And I went, no. Well, she, uh, she, women examine diapers in frightening ways. They do, they do. They'll, they'll put their nose in it, or worse, like the hands of dipstick. They'll just put it, and I'm going, no, no. And she goes, this thing should have been changed. We had one of our first arguments. I said, no, no, the, the, the package says six to 12 pounds, and uh, she, she has a way to go. <clears throat> I'm glad the Holy Spirit nurtures us in that way. It's, um, it's, by the way, it's not only the Holy Spirit. How many times does the Bible talk about us leaning on the breast of God or the breast of Jesus? There's a nurturing to them that we often leave out. But let's, he's mentioned 88 times in the Old Testament and yet he refer, he, he's a mystery to most of us. I love the, the phrase that Francis Chan used. He called him the forgotten God. It's a great book, by the way, by that title. It's, a, it's worth the study. Merry Christmas. There you go. Do you remember our discussion about God a few weeks ago when I talked about boxes and don't put them in boxes, but we're going to put them in boxes merely as way to, to do a general over flow here, and that is that the Father plans, the Son executes the plan, but the Holy Spirit brings the order and the power. He also goes out first. He always, he's just seen as going ahead of the plan to get everything ready. Turn on the lights, get things in order. In Genesis 1 and verse 2, we saw that. He's in creation. The order that we see in the universe comes through him, the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to take the time to talk about it today, but there is a mathematical constant in the way things, cells are structured, no matter if that cell or larger structure is in a nautilus or whether it is in you or whether it's in a whale or an eagle, there is a pattern, there is a beautiful ratio built into this, which is the opposite of chaos. By the way, some of you may have heard of chaos theory. It was a really big thing back in the 80s and 90s, and people were still studying chaos theory, but the study has changed because we have realized after studying chaos theory, there is no chaos. What we thought was chaos was ordering itself into patterns. In Genesis 6 and verse 3, we find the Spirit trying to be, bring people back to morality and reason but they refused him. They resisted him. Now, this gets frightening because when they resisted him, the world in Genesis 6 spun immediately back into chaos and we have the flood. Do we see a pattern here? When he moves, we had best pay attention. In Exodus 35, and I'm not going to read all of these because I've got so many pages, and I know we don't have classes so I could hold you extra, except that some of you are going to flee anyway. So, 
I want to stay within, within my box, all right? In Genesis, in Genesis uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, read forward from there. You see the spirit, I love this bit, giving people artistic gifts. Who brings the beauty? Who brings the art, the color, the music? Do you see beauty in the world? Do you hear the music? Do you see art that moves you? Colors that lift you up? The Spirit gives voice to a part of us that would otherwise remain silent. Even in our prayers, we're told he interprets for us. He puts words to the emotions. The reason uh, young people love music so much, and, and they do love it more than old folk, and you might say, oh, no, they, yeah, they do. Because we, us old folk, only love the music we already know. They are trolling through all of these, looking for more and new music. And the reason is their brain is putting words with emotion. It's a big job that they've got to do. And so, by the way, let me just speak for you here. <laughs> if, uh, if you got a teenager and you say, why did you do that? And they say, oh, no, they really don't know. Because the words aren't there yet. That's why the music's so important. Who gave us all of this? Who helped Beethoven deal with a, a horrific childhood where his father beat him and slapped him on the ears so often that it led to early deafness? Who took the pain when he was rejected by one woman after another always asking a woman to, to, to eat with them or, or to marry him, and they turned him down. What, who took all that pain and made that music? The Bible would say in Exodus 35, that's a gift of the Spirit. Take your pain. By the way, if you're depressed today, if you're in pain today, I get that, that you're not a bad Christian at all. Read the scripture, and you're gonna find that the majority of people God really got along with we're depressed. And in fact, Jesus himself was prophesied to be a man of sorrows and well acquainted with our grief. Why? Because, frankly, depressed people make the world beautiful. When they take their pain and they create. I used to write songs. Then I met Cammie. And I even sent her flowers. And I said, it is increasingly difficult for me to write a depressing song. She killed my career. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> I'm happy, you know, and what do you, what do you want to do, right? You know, I'm happy. Okay, I'm done. Uh, well, there was a hit like that. A couple, anyway, the, the point I'm still trying to make here, and I'm struggling. God helps the others through the Spirit speak. The others. There was a young man named John who uh, I was just a boy, he was just a boy, and we were sitting in class before the class started, and he started to draw, and he drew this beautiful three-masted sailing ship. And I watched him do it, and I said, how, how, do you, how do you see that in your head and get it on paper? And he looked at me, and he goes, well, you just, you just see it and you do it. And I'm going, in the head, no. And I would watch him do things, and then finally he'd make a line and it all came together. You've seen this, right? With artists. Who does that? That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank him. Use that gift. As I've said before, life is complicated and hard to define. 
But we know God said Jesus created all things and that, I love this phrase, in him all things hold together. Other versions, in him all things consist. In Psalm 104, write that one down. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 7, we see that when the Spirit walks in, you have life. But when the Spirit leaves, the chaos spins you toward death. Do you remember how many times, for example, early on, God breathed into Adam and Eve and they became living souls. When Jesus was resurrected, what did he do when he walked into the room where they were all hiding? He breathed on them. It meant he gave them the spirit. He had to do it a couple times to get them out of the locked room. They weren't supposed to be there in the first place. They were supposed to be at work. They were supposed to be in Galilee. So he gave them the strength to do it through the Holy Spirit. When people needed extra wisdom to guide them through difficult times, the Spirit came to them in the Old Testament on judges, on priests. In fact, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 2 tells us he gives us the words we need. That should sound very familiar because he prays with us and for us. But in Numbers 22 and verse, I'm sorry, 24 and verse 2, we have the words we need when we need them. But it is, of course, up to us to use them. And thereby lies a very, really important lesson to us. There's a baptistry behind here. That's a, that's a church word. If you're a visitor, I'm not sure what churchy words mean. It means it's, it's a pool of water in a container. And we believe that to become a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You, you repent of your sins. You confess that faith. And that's just by saying what I just said. And then that you are buried in the water in a semblance, Romans 6, of the death of Jesus, but then raised up in a semblance of the resurrection. And that, according to Romans 6, but especially Acts chapter 2, when that happens, something changes in your very cells. Well, we'll never see it in a microscope because it's not measurable. It's not seeable. But it is a promise of God that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now live in you. You are a temple. You are a temple. And there in your Holy of Holies is the Holy Spirit. And yet Paul tells the Galatians that they should be praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, you've already got it. Why is he praying for that? Because the Spirit is continually trying to lead us, listen and act. I don't want to cause anybody pain. And this is a painful thing. But we have been facing loss among our families and some of us are looking and seeing that that is coming at us. We're on that path. I can remember a friend of mine coming to me one early day in January. His father had passed. And he said, I've got to ask you a question. I said, what? He goes, what do we do with all the presents? His family bought him presents for Christmas. And they were still wrapped up, unopened. And I remember coming home and talking to Cammie about that. We were in Ohio. We'd just come to America a few years ago, returned to America a few years before that. And uh, I said, I, there's something about dying with open, unopened presents that bothers me. It really does. You have a present given to you, the Holy Spirit. 
Do not treat that lightly. Open the present. Be filled with him daily. Do not, do not it, confuse the Holy Spirit with your whims. The Holy Spirit wanted me to come here and see the movie. Maybe not. The Holy Spirit wanted me to buy this. Maybe, maybe not. Just be open to wisdom and bringing order out of chaos. Many of you passed it around. It's gotten millions of views about an admiral addressing a class. And he said, if you want to change the world, make your bed every day. And people look at that and go, what? Have you ever, if you've been through boot camp, you know this. They teach you, you bring order out of chaos. You do not enjoy the chaos. You do not enter the chaos. You bring order into it. And it may look like chaos to you, but they know exactly where they are, what they're doing and why they're doing it because they made their bed. The Holy Spirit brings order. And by the way, I'm aware that I'm completely off the notes, but I shall move back here, maybe. They don't have them, so they don't know that. So I shouldn't have brought it up. Skipping to the Christmas story. We find that Jesus was placed in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. I find that fascinating. God does not send an angel to say, God has done this. He said, the Holy Spirit came into you. He didn't place an entirely miraculous egg in there. That's always, I've always thought about that. He could have done that. But no, he wanted Jesus to be human and God. So the Spirit did that. When Jesus grew up and started his ministry, the Spirit went out to his cousin, ahead, out to his cousin, John the Baptist, and gave him the words and a mission and a passion to prepare the way. Do you see Genesis 1 verse 2 again? He sends out John the Baptist to bring some light, some order, and a clear place for Jesus to enter. One of the greatest mysteries of history is what did Jesus know and when did he know it at what age? And, and I'm not going to even try to answer that, but I will say this. He made it very plain the Holy Spirit guided every step of his way all the way through to the point where one of the first things we see in the life of Jesus is that he is sent into the desert to be tempted of the devil. And what does he do? Have you ever noticed what he did? He never said a word to the devil that wasn't a quotation of scripture, which means, as we know, the Holy Spirit inspires the scripture. Therefore, Jesus refused to even use a word unless the Holy Spirit gave it to him. When he was engaged with the devil, he was that obedient to God. He would not even use his own words. And it terrifies me whenever I happen to see a Christian show on TV where they start flinging about the Holy Spirit's name as if that was just something you could fling about or they fling about Satan's name as if Satan's afraid of them and he is not and the Holy Spirit should be said with awe and reverence, not with loudness. He will bring you the words. Use those words. When Jesus tossed out demons... Guess who gave him the power to do that? And when you need a gift or a clear path, it's the Holy Spirit that will do that. In Luke 11, we're going to take time for this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. 
He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, by the way, if you're still going, you're in Matthew, we're in Luke. When Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. In other words, you're not stopping. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which, you, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit Did you catch that? The gifts, and all of a sudden, who's showing up? He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I was never close with any of my grandparents because, frankly, my dad did not find them religiously acceptable. He was a pretty rough fella. Uh, And we could go on and on, but I won't. I honor my father. When my grandfather died, the one whose picture I showed on Veterans Day, uh, who had been, um, I don't know, do you call it wounded when you're gassed a bit in France? He was damaged in his war. When he died, I remember Kara, we had just come back to America, he's like months, I think, and, and Kara was just three or four years old at the time, uh, and she, as a sweet girl, be praying for her great-grandfather. Well, I got the call, and so we looked at each other and said, well, we got to tell Kara. It was in the morning, so we got her up and we got her into our bed because that's exactly the way to raise your kids. Bring them in, let's play. We sat there and talked and I said, Kara, you know how you've been praying for Pop, that Pop would be better? She nodded and I said, God heard you and Pop is better. He left because this body wouldn't help him be better. So God took him to another place where he'll be better. We have to understand that when we ask God for one thing, he will give us a better thing, even though it doesn't seem better at the time. I've never wanted to be a minister. And maybe some of you are never wanted me to be a minister, but I never wanted, I fought it all my life. People, I had a a preacher friend, I help preachers that are hurt. And a preacher friend who is hurting right now said, Patrick, have you ever resigned? And I said, yes. He said, how often? I said, pretty much weekly. This wasn't my chosen path. But I look back, and Cammie and I talk a lot about this because we're at that stage of life, I think. But we look back and see the tracks and see what we did. And we said, even though we were very reluctant and not pleased with what the Holy Spirit was doing, we look back and we see beauty and wonder and order that God brought out of our chaotic lives. And 
all we can say is praise God and thank you. The Holy Spirit is everywhere in the New Testament. Remember I said he was 88 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's mentioned in every book except three, three tiny books, Philemon and 2nd and 3rd John. So here quickly, some important things about the Spirit as a personal being. Every attribute that the Father and Son has, he has. When Laurie Lee gets back, I'll ask her to put these notes up on the podcast linked it, okay? So you can have those. And remember that everything on the podcast is copyright free and it's free to you to use in any way that you wish. And that, if you're listening online, that applies to you as well. Every attribute he, they have, he has. That's all right. It's a, he is a personal, sentient being who can be grieved. Do not push him. Do not grieve him. If he wants you to do something, and again, how do you know it's him? I've had people say, how do you know it's him? Well, for one, it'll be something you didn't choose to do. You know, if you're saying, well, the Holy Spirit led me to buy this new Ferrari, doubtful. It's just doubtful. But I've had people come and look at me and say, I just keep getting this feeling that I'm supposed to change jobs and, do, and I don't want to. Now, that could be just a feeling. But that's when you get the community involved. Let us all pray for a clear answer. Order out of chaos. I have a group that I do that with. That I'll send them emails and say, all right, this is what I'm thinking. What are you hearing? Intelligence is a function of genetics. There are some other factors, but let's just strip it down. Intelligence is a function of genetics, but wisdom is a function of the group. We need to share. Don't move, the Bible talks about no private interpretation of the Holy Spirit. You share it and you let others work with you. He can inhabit our personal lives and in fact, he should. And once again, he can be resisted. He strives with us, he wrestles with us, wants to convict our hearts. And there are so many passages, I just listed three there. And you don't want to give him to give up on you. Because if he does, that way lies chaos and death. And not like the death of a righteous person where the Bible says God rejoices in the death of a righteous one. This would be different. This would be the death of Adam and Eve. Their bodies stayed alive, but they were separated from God. And that's what the word death means. They did die on that day. They were separated. You don't want that kind. He is the spirit of Christ. That is actually one of my favorite names for him because I am such a huge fan of Jesus. I know, I know. I'm supposed to be, but I really am. It's just, um, you know, I gotta say this. Gary Schrader is doing a great job, a fantastic job. When he first came on, I think he was still bringing things from uh, the, the education model where he's a principal. And so he would get all excited about stuff. And he'd walk in and say, all right, I've told all the staff, on Friday, we're all going to wear our uh, sweatshirts from our, our college team. I said, enjoy. And he said, well, don't you have, and I said, we don't do that. You don't, you don't go to British colleges to play ball. You, you, you study. And he goes, well, you can just wear your sweatshirts. And I said, we don't sell sweatshirts. We don't put stickers in the back of the window. We, we study. 
And this went on for a while, and then he decided that Patrick is the person to invite if you want to kill a party, and he's correct. He is correct. And I have killed many, and uh, their pelts are on the wall. But I love that spirit of Christ. This is, we're, we're Jesus' team here. This is who we are, but we need help being Jesus, don't we? Being Jesus isn't natural. We need help. The spirit shows up. And to have, he's a letter from God in our hearts. I love that. I'm not sure I can unpack all that yet, frankly. There's some things about the spirit that are said that I'm not sure I've got my head wrapped around and that's one of them, but I love it. I love the idea. And to have the spirit, to have Christ is to have the spirit. To have the spirit is to have Christ. If we don't act like Christ, live like Christ, speak like Christ, and treat others as Christ wants, the spirit will not stay there. For he knows he is not welcome unless we've invited in the Christ. In the centuries since the New Testament was completed, what has the Spirit done? When I was a boy, nothing. He'd inspired the Bible. Now what does he do? Nothing. That's, that's really close to blasphemy. You don't want to go there. The Spirit hasn't quit. He is still guiding us, guiding every Christian who will let him guide, guiding the artists, guiding the writers, guiding the musicians. He's given us wisdom. He's moved us along the road, and churches have to move and change too. And he's helped us here at Fourth Avenue bring a bit more heaven into a dark, chaotic world. For that's my dream for this church, that we will be a preview of heaven, an outpost of heaven, regardless of how dark and stormy it gets outside. Within us, our people in this building, and beyond the building, we will bring order, we will bring light, we will bring grace because we bring Christ by the power of the Spirit and that is God's plan for us. Would you stand and we're gonna read the Nicene Creed together as we have studied it so far. We'll finish it next week, Lord willing. Those of you only, we do not put pressure on anybody. Those of you who agree, if you would read with me, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the, from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and Son, he is worshiped and glorified. 
he has spoken through the prophets. And all the church says, Amen. Amen.